Did you ever wonder how some people who were handed unfortunate life circumstances accomplish extraordinary feats of greatness? How someone with real-life struggles that would normally block them from ever achieving their hopes and dreams would somehow triumph against all odds? Could it be their sheer determination, a test of wills, even a possible miracle, or is it just mind over matter? I'm Dr. Jen Palladino, a chiropractor who specializes in the treatment of musician and performing artist injury. Music and creative arts can change the world, and I'm interested in exploring the passion that music and art evokes in people, whether it's playing or listening or creating or observing. It's that powerful driving force within the human soul that sparks emotion, unites the masses, bridges language gaps and cultural barriers, and heals the mind, body, and spirit. Warning. In this episode, there'll be explicit language, and we'll be talking about substance abuse, suicide, and bullying. So if these are triggers, please take care and go accordingly. Join me by staying tuned and hear how my guest defeated all the odds and is now living his dream. You too can open the door to your own greatness with this story of inspiration, hope, and encouragement. And if you're a fan of the band Korn, you're in for a treat. Welcome to Rockin' Healthy Lifestyles, a podcast featuring conversation with popular musicians and performing artists, sharing their stories of life's trials and triumphs, career ups and downs, and what stirs their creative juices. Also join us and learn how our guests keep fit and fabulous while rocking a healthy body, mind, and spirit. And now, introducing your host, Dr. Jennifer Palladino. So welcome to my guests, Brandon Mendenhall, the guitarist of the band, The Mendenhall Experiment, and also the focus of an amazing documentary entitled Mind Over Matter. We are also joined by Mind Over Matter's director, Sebastian Paquet. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Thank you for being here. So let's get started. Let's start at the very beginning, Brandon. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, where you grew up? Yeah, so I grew up in a, in a small town south of Chicago, Illinois, and I was born with cerebral palsy, which is a neuromuscular disease. And my passion in life is music and guitar playing. And growing up, everybody told me, oh, you'll never be a guitarist. You'll never be able to do music or live independently or basically have any quality of life outside of like living with your family and doing nothing. So that's the stage began for me because I'm a dude that doesn't take no for an answer. So when I grabbed onto music, I grabbed onto it and didn't let go and said, I'm going to do this no matter what. And that's how you have a band like mine, a film like mine, so on and so forth. If you would, please, for our listening audience, can you describe what cerebral palsy is? It's, like I said, it's a neuromuscular disorder. There's four different types of which are medical, lingo, that I don't quite remember off the top of my head, but there's 
four different types and every case affects every individual differently. There's different ratings of severities and like four different classifications. For me, it affects my left side. My speech, my coordination, my left hand is probably the biggest problem area, especially when you get into playing music, playing an instrument like guitar. If your hand doesn't work, then how are you going to make that a functional thing? Speech, coordination, the way I walk, my gait, my my feet turn in, so I have a permanent gangster lean, as we like to call it, and yeah, but I just keep it moving. So it's really a congenital disorder, which is from birth, is that yeah. right? It was, you were born with that, yes. And it's something that affects your movement, your muscle tone, your posture, your coordination, right? Yeah, correct. It's, it's a purely, it's a physical thing. Doesn't affect my mental intellect whatsoever, and I think that's uh, definitely a common misconception with people. They hear my speech impediment and automatically assume that mentally challenged or people that have cerebral palsy are mentally challenged, and that couldn't be farther from the case. The type of cerebral palsy that that you're describing affecting the left side of your body is called hemiplasia, where one side of the body is normally functioning and the other one is affected by the disorder. So you're a guitar player? How does that work? Guitar playing works because I found the magic workaround. I couldn't do, I couldn't play guitar the traditional way with all of the traditional chord shapes and funny hand shapes because I tried and I tried and just I, I don't have a muscle coordination so I found a shortcut and I use down tunings and open tunings and bar chords to be able to play chords in a different way which allows me then to write songs so in other words, you're saying that you have a unique playing style that you developed because out of necessity. Most definitely. I have people ask me to teach them how to play guitar quite often, and it's my, my answer is always the same. I, I can teach you what I know, but my playing style is, is going to be like, it's my own niche. It's going to be different from your standard guitar player. So really, you've devised a way of rehabbing yourself. I rehab my hand and basically the majority of the outlook on my life by playing guitar and, and following my passion of wanting to be a guitar player and wanting to be a professional touring musician. It's all encompassing. It, it, it forced me to rehabilitate the functioning on my hand, in my hand, and then I had to step up my game of speech is concerned, time management, all, all those different things that come along with being an all-encompassed artist, right? Because it's, it's more than just music, it's an entire package. So really, the healing power of music through your rehab of learning how to play the guitar, it just didn't affect your one hand, but your whole being. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Music saved my life in that, in that regard. It gave my life 
meaning and, and purpose. And I still carry that purpose today. So when you were a, a young child, how was it how was your family? Were they supportive or did they encourage you? No, my, my grandfather hated the fact that, that I wanted to follow music. He had a very he had a very one-sided way of how he wanted me to be or who he wanted me to be in life. He wanted me to be a carbon copy of himself. And that wasn't what I was into. It wasn't what spoke to me. It was like I was into music and movies and, and city stuff. And my dad was more of, my grandfather was more of a, like, outdoorsman, farming type of dude. And I liked the hustle and bustle of people. So your grandparents brought you up? Definitely. They adopted me when I was a baby, pretty much, because my biological mother was um, type 1 diabetic and she just had me really young, like right out of high school. She just wasn't in a physical condition to take care of a young child. So her parents stepped in, adopted me, raised me as their own. And my grandfather, he was super like anti-music, anti-musician. I remember when I got a guitar, he became a pinnacle for me pushing so hard because he heard me playing one day and then uh, stood in the doorway of my room and said, you'll never be a guitarist. Don't even try. And turned down my music because you're bothering me, pretty much. And not such a nice way. So you're a kid. You're trying to rehab yourself through music. And your family is not so much in favor of the idea. What was it like in school? School was, the early years of school were difficult because I was like this goofy kid with a disability that nobody really understood. And, and when you're young, you're trying to find your place where you belong. And you go through all these different cycles and phases so every kid goes through that, but then on top of it, I have a disability. So I became the outcasted kid. I got picked on a lot. I got beat up. I got made fun of. And then when they found out I was adopted by my grandparents, it was like the double whammy. It's like the kid with the disability. I was a little goofy. And then I was adopted by my grandparents. So like, Kids are brutal, man. They'll, they'll see any little thing and just go for it. So that was the foundation for my angst. It's like I got picked on, I got beat up, I got made fun of, and then on my family side, I got my family and doctors telling me that I'd never be able to play an instrument of any kind, let alone play guitar. Uh, and be successful. Actually, the doctors at one of the medical facilities we went to suggested that to my grandparents that they shy me away from playing music because they didn't think it was a realistic goal or a path for me to follow. It, it all built together into this thing where like almost every everything was stacked against me. But I went through so many different things as, as far as 
when you're a kid, you want to be like, you want to be in life. I want to be a firefighter. No, you can't do that. I want to be an NHL star. No, you can't do that. I don't know. Insert anything else. It's like I went through, oh yeah, I wanted to do karate because like martial arts and the karate kid was the big thing. So, and I'm like, no, you can't do that. So I went through all these different phases as a child. And then I finally got to guitar and music and it really spoke to me. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this one. So here you are, this young guy with a guitar and a disability, and the music is really appealing to you. What were you listening to? When I was younger, I got my grandparents, they played a lot of Elvis and Johnny Cash in the house. But once I got into, like, teenage years, it was metal. My friend Jason was always playing different stuff, like Metallica and Pantera. And, again, you know, but one day he was playing Corn's first record, and, and I heard it, and I was like, who the hell is that? What is that? I'd never heard a band like Corn before, and, and that just kind of opened the gate. And I'm the kind of kid that, like, wh- when I get into something, I have to know everything about it. So I grasped onto this band and I went down the research hole and found out everything about them. And then all of a sudden I was just like this massive fan. And what was that about Corn that so inspired you? I think musically it was just different. Um, the guitars were heavier. It was the first time you heard seven-string guitars being played in a down-tune fashion. So that was interesting for me because it's like, well, what's a seven-string? But then the vocals and, and lyrically, where I was at mentally as a child, all these feelings of being abused and being mistreated and, and discarding, I, I was able to relate to Jonathan's lyrics on like a deep emotional That's probably why they have such devoted fans is because they appeal to the underdog through their music. So you must be a pretty huge fan of Korn's, Brandon, because from what I understand, you have some pretty rad Korn tattoos. It's just my name and my being is synonymous with that band at this point. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan and I'm still super inspired by what they do. I think they still push the limits and set the, the bars in current day. Yeah, when I was a kid, I started getting tattooed and the very first tattoo I got was a corn tattoo. So it went from having this, this logo tattoo between my shoulder blades and then all my other friends they had bigger like pieces like sleeves and like pieces of art so I wanted to take my little tattoo and expand it to a piece of artwork so we came up with this concept of putting uh, monkey and head on my respective shoulder blades where you would look at my back and then you could look at the stage and it it would reflect the same kind of setup. And we made it look like lights and and then we spray paint tagged their names underneath their little caricatures. And just for those who aren't aware, James Monkey Schaefer and Brian Head Welch are the two guitarists in Korn. But 
since those two guys were my two main influences, that was my tribute to them, is to put them on my back and say, this is what I'm about, this is what I'm pushing for. And it was a tribute to them, but always a reminder to me to push. So you have the corn logo between your shoulder blades, and on each side you have monkey on one side and head on the other, correct? Yeah, so it's like the logo in the center, and then it spans out and it looks like concert lighting that kind of shines on these two dudes on my shoulder blades. So is there a story here on how you ended up meeting them? Is there a connection with your tattoos? It's actually funny because a lot of people in high school, they made fun of me for getting that tattoo. And it was just another thing for people to take jabs at me for. And they're like, oh, why would you Why would you ever do that? You know, you're not even going to like them when you get older. You're going to feel stupid. And my response was like, no, I'm going to meet the band because of this tattoo. And lo and behold, it, it, universe willing, it, it happened like that. I would go to the shows all the time. Because I was trying to meet them, I went to every show I could. And I would show up early and stay late and hang out by the tour buses. And and one particular show, I just happened to be standing on a corner behind a venue with my shirt off. And here come the tour buses. And they round the corner. And I'm standing on the corner. And Monkey Head happened to be in the front of the bus looking out the window and got a a glimpse of my tattoo sent their crew guy out to come find me. And it's a Cinderella story. Like, they pulled me over the barricade, brought me backstage, threw me in a room with these two guys, and it was just the most surreal thing ever. But that's a testament to who they are. And that's why they they are so successful. It's like, they were the band that went above and beyond for their family. And they still do that. Obviously, they have to do it in ways that are more structured because they're astronomically huge, but they still put their fans first. So you're minding your own business, going to a corn concert, and they happen to see you and snatch you up and get you backstage. And there you are with your heroes. What was that conversation like? It it was funny because I was standing in the middle of the the floor, it was a hockey arena, and I had my shirt off, and I'm just standing there minding my own business. And Monkey had this this huge security guard at the time, and he was just ripped and tattooed, and he had a huge beard, scary looking guy for me being 19. And all of a sudden, he's yelling at me from the side behind the barricades, "Hey, you with the tattoo?" come over here. And I'm like, oh shit, what do I do? <laughs> First I was like, no, I don't want no trouble, man. And he's like, no, come over here. And so my buddy was like, just just go see what he wants. And so I, I walk over and I could hear Monkey and Head on, on the radio that he had. And they're like, oh, you found him? Bring him back here. And what? <laughs> Who does that? So what did they say to you? What did you talk to them about? 
I, I remember talking to Brian about guitar playing when I got in the room. They were asking me about the tattoo, and I was like, yeah, I'm a guitar player, and I'm learning how to play, and I, I want to kind of follow in your footsteps. And obviously, the fact that I have a disability came up, and he was, yeah, you have a disability, but, like, you can trip. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting there for the best I can for now. And then I think Monkey was the most taken back by the experience. I don't want to say that he was emotional, but you can tell that it touched him. In a way, I think that was one of the first times that they've seen a fan with their faces tattooed on them, so to speak. I think my story and my tattoo was one of the first ones, so it made it really interesting for them. And Monkey was, he's always been a quiet one. He talks more nowadays, I think. But back then, 20 years ago, he was the guy that didn't talk very much. Did he give you any advice about your guitar playing? I think it was just like, hey, man, just keep at it, keep chugging along. And it was more of like a typical fan meet and greet kind of thing because they threw me in a room with these guys. I just didn't know how to process it. I was young and overly excited. And so it was like, just kind of keep it moving and keep at it. And they signed my stuff and took pictures with me and gave me a bunch of guitar picks. And that was about the extent of it. But then I think they hooked me up with passes for a show the following week. We went to St. Louis and we saw them. And I didn't see see them in person again until 2004. They were playing Jimmy Kimmel here in Hollywood. I was in high school when I met them, so I graduated full sale through music production, and I moved from Florida to L.A. to start my career. They were playing Jimmy Kimmel for the Greatest Hits album release. Head was having technical difficulties on his side, so Monkey jumped off the stage and he was walking through a security pit and he saw me and he's, what are you doing here? I live here. I moved here. So like he was so happy to see me that he almost pulled me out of the crowd. And then he kept messing with me during the set and they caught that on camera. So you mentioned you graduated from Full Sail. Is Full Sail a school for audio engineering? At the time, it was the biggest audio engineering school and most prestigious audio engineering school in the country. That was my point, because even though guitar was my passion, I was very conscious of my abilities and capabilities as a guitar player. So I figured... I wanted to be in the industry, but maybe being a musician wasn't the, the right route to take initially. So I was like, I'm going to go to college and learn how to work in a recording studio and learn Pro Tools, learn the mixing console, and, and just get a job. And then around the same time that I graduated and moved to L.A., the recording industry went through what we call a, a crash. Home studio recording software became more available to the public, and it 
changed the entire face of the industry. And when I did get an internship at one of the major studios in LA, I wasn't able to move up because of my civil policy. I've never had a driver's license. And because the industry crashed and everything kind of bottlenecked and you went from being able to have one job title and that was it, you had to have multiple job titles now because they have the cost. So here you are in L.A. with your new skills and you don't drive. Wow. That must have been difficult. Isn't that the ball breaker? I go to the most prestigious school in the country. I graduate with honors, top of my class, pro tool certification, never missed a day of school, never was late more than 15 minutes. So I got like a perfect attendance award, which for me is astronomical. In my later years in high school, I barely graduated because I was like cutting class to play guitar and hang out with my friends all the time. So for me to go to college and and really grab onto it and and be focused and come out of it like I did and then to move to LA, you have the skill set and you're really good at it, but we can't hire you because you can't drive to go get me coffee and donuts. That's crazy. But you did move out to L.A. to to join a band. Is that correct? Well, I think initially, like, the band and being a musician wasn't in the forefront. I, it was more of, let me go do this producing thing and, and, and making records and make some money. And then, then I can look at my, my passion for guitar playing. But then when everything shifted in the studio realm, I realigned my focus. And I, I was like, okay, I'm going to become a full-time musician now. So you're here and you can't drive. How did you get around? Walk with your disability? I walked everywhere. I had I had a mountain bike. Actually, I had three or four different bicycles that kept getting stolen. My first job I had when I moved to Hollywood was I worked for Target on Santa Monica Boulevard, which was coincidentally across the street from a studio that I got an internship at. So I worked there and people kept jacking my bike. I think I went through four of them. And back then, it, Uber and Lyft didn't exist. So it was like the metro bus, my feet, and, uh, and bicycle. So with all this walking, how did that affect your feet? It, it destroyed my foot. I was already had a buildup of an issue like the, the bunion and the bone spurs in my foot were already there. And then with all the walking around L.A. I did, it just kind of elevated it and it just made it worse. And I remember I was staying with a friend of mine up in in Glendale and he, I'd come home and take my shoes off and my foot would just be bloody. And he's, dude, you got to go get that looked at. So eventually I did. I, I went over to UCLA and started the journey to fix my foot. And I had five or six procedures now with UCLA. But now I'm in a good place. It was, I've had 11 surgeries total. I've had one more post-documentary film. But it actually, it, it was a success. Am I still in pain? Yes. On the daily, it sucks. So here you are in L.A. and you're physically hurting. You're not really working as you've intended to be working. And so how did that take its toll on you? It crushed me. 
I went through the biggest period of depression in my life. I think it lasted for almost four years. I, I just spiraled into nothingness. Like I was, I started using drugs while at the, at the studio. And then when they let me go because I couldn't run errands for them, I just spiraled heavily into drug use and alcoholism and depression. It was nothing more than just not wanting to get out of bed and function because in my eyes at the time, I was at the top. And if you already reached the top, like where, where do you go from there? I was working for the studio where Michael Jackson did all of his major records. From, Nine Inch Nails and, and Rage Against the Machine and, you know, bands that I look up to. When you feel like you're, you were already at the top, you blew it. Like, I was young. I was a kid. I, I didn't know how to process that kind of loss. So in those darkest of times, had you ever considered taking your own life? Yeah, I actually attempted it, and my roommate at the time came in the middle of it and kind of slapped some sense into me because he saw the pile of drugs that I had on the on the top of the amp, and he's fucking doing. <laughs> in that rock bottom phase, I had the original Ibanez Universe black and green mall that Corn started with in the early '90s, and Steve Vai had kind of signed it for me when I was in college. Oh, that black and green Ibanez universe. That's a gorgeous guitar. It was just sitting there, and I was in that rock bottom phase of my life, and I realized, like, music wasn't working out for me, and I wanted to quit. I made these connections with the guys in Corn, so they were rolling through to do an album release at their hometown in Bakersfield. So I hooked up with my buddy Jimmy, and he set it up so I could go give Monkey the guitar. And when we went on the bus, hey, you know, here, I, I want to give you this. I knew that in the early 90s, Monkey had a, a signed Steve Vai guitar. And he had broken a couple of Heb's guitars on tour. So in exchange for the broken guitars, had made him give up his autographed Steve Vai guitar. So here I have this one that was custom and in really good condition. And I was at a point in my life where I wanted to quit music. And basically, I was suicidal. So I was pretty much done with life at that point. Like, to me, I failed. And as, like, a young kid in your early 20s trying to swallow that, like, not only do I have a disability, but then I moved to L.A. and I failed at, at music. So what did you say to Monkey? I, I was like, I told him, I was like, shit's not working out for me. Music isn't going the way that I want to. I tried to join different bands. I'm just not there yet as far as guitar playing and functionality because of my, the way that my hand works. I've developed my own way of playing and that doesn't coordinate with a standard rock band that can't go and sit in with with a, a band that doesn't understand the way that I play. You know, I think Monkey was really affected by what I said. And obviously you know, I gave him the guitar as a, a token of my appreciation, but 
he was like, if you can't join a band, why don't you make your own band? So in essence, Monkey was the one who suggested that you start the Mendenhall experiment. That was like the, the cornerstone for me to create what became uh, the Mendenhall experiment, my, my own band, based on how I can play guitar. So you presented Monkey with this beautiful guitar signed by Steve Vai, and he must have been blown away. And in his thanks, he gave you some really beautiful advice that you took him up on. The reception of not only Monkey, but the management, Sebastian, and everybody that was on the bus at that particular moment, it, it was enough for me to pull me out of my funk. Because I went into the situation thinking that I, I was done with music, and I came out of that night feeling like I had enough hope to continue. Like, there, there was an avenue here that I wasn't seeing. And I think it was the combination of the entire evening, and I think I got more attention than I thought. And, and I think it was that attention of just feeling like I was worth something at that particular moment. I went home and threw all my drugs away. I, I flushed them, and, and I, day by day, I cut people out of my life and rebuilt myself from the ground up. But I was a mess. Sometimes we have to walk away from all the negativity and, and start anew. And it seems like that boost from Monkey, that pat on the back, gave you the spark to start your own band, the Mendenhall Experiment. What I'm trying to do is a literal experiment to see if can make a band, ultimately get a record deal, and then elevate that band to the national level of success. Because I've never set out to do music at a small-time level. I always wanted to be on the same level as the guys in corn. So here you had your band set up, the Mendenhall Experiment, and one of your band members has a disability as well. Is that right? Yeah, I linked up with Nathan Stocking, my bass player. He's partially blind and partially deaf, and it's, it's getting worse. But linked up with Nathan, it was like he started coming to our, our gigs at first, and he was like, man, I really want to be in this band. And then it kind of opened up for him to join. So it, it made sense for us because I was like, why is Phil Harvey? And he's like, well, I'm blind and deaf. And I was like, you fit what we got going on here. We decided that we could team up and be under the umbrella of raising disability awareness as a whole. It's not just about cerebral palsy, but it's about all and all of the developmental disabilities, blindness, deafness, autism, cerebral palsy, I feel that I'm not remembering, but you get my drift. Yes. So now you have this band and you got your first record contract. Yeah, we got we got lucky enough to be signed. We played the band's Warped Tour, Battle of the Bands, and we made it all the way to the House of Blues in Anaheim. And we just, we stole the show. 
And because we didn't win the competition, because they've already picked the winner, we didn't win the competition because the competition was fixed. But what we did get is we got a, a phone call from a record label the following week. And they said, why don't you come down? We saw you at the House of Blues, and we'd like to talk to you. They're called Lucent Records out of Orange County, and they're affiliated with the subsidiary of Universal Music Group. And them being affiliated with Universal, we figured we've got nothing to lose. Let's sign the deal and get moving. So we signed with them, and we released our first album. Monkey did a song with us called Prosthetic, and then Danny Moner from Nine Trails, who is another one of my major influences, played on a song called Find a Way Out. Yes, it sounds awesome. You had a, a recording session with Monkey, didn't you? Yeah, thanks to our French pal here, Sebastian. He was able to make that happen. What was it like jamming with your hero? It was nerve-wracking. I've never been so, like, nervous leading up to something in my life. I think I was having a mini panic attack on my way to the studio. I came back down to earth and um, then I, I just went in and we did the session and Monkey made it so... I don't know if he knew exactly what he was doing intention-wise, but the way that he handled the situation, like, was... It was perfect. Like, he, he just came in. I remember he came in quietly, and, and I was, like, jamming through the songs. And I turned around, and he'd been sitting at the end of a console for I don't even know how long. I think he was there for a good five, ten minutes before I realized he was even in the room. So I think that kind of just set the tone for the entire day. It, like, um, took the nerves out, out of it, because... For me, sitting there thinking, oh my God, I'm like jamming with my maker pretty much. Wow. Wow, you really came full circle at that point. It must have blown your mind. Doesn't Monkey have a disability of sorts as well? I don't know if I would call it a disability, but the... We do definitely went through some physical rehabilitation, and uh, he cut his left index finger off in a, a three-wheeler accident, trying to sneak out to a party as a kid. His hand got caught up in the in the spokes or in the chain of this three-wheeler, and kind of sliced his finger off um, the tip of it anyway, and they rushed him to the hospital. They were able to save it, but the doctor was like, you should take up an instrument. And so he decided to play guitar to rehabilitate his finger. And that's what really inspired me as well in, in terms of Korn being my favorite band, is that he was able to go through this experience and cut one of his fingers off pretty much, sew it back on, become a guitar player, and bring his band to national success. So I kind of use that as my pinnacle to fight my grandparents and say, hey, this guy did it. I have all five of my fingers. Why the hell can't I? 
Sebastian, you've been sitting here so patiently listening, and I'd like to ask you, not only are you the director of Mind Over Matter, you also work for Korn, correct? Yes, I have been working for them as their cinematographer and documenter for the last, let me do some quick math here, 16, 18 years, something like that, since 2000, uh, 2005, so 17. And not only do you work for Korn, but you have an impressive resume as a director, a cinematographer, and an editor with credits like Wounded Warriors, the documentary about Korn's lead singer, Jonathan Davis, and his work with the USO, the United Service Organizations, and beautiful documentary short, The Prodigy Son, the film about Metallica's bassist, Robert Trujillo's 12-year-old son, Ty, who's a gifted bass player and actually played on a leg of the tour with Korn. That's right. He was I'm really not good with numbers, it seems, but he was 12 or 13, I think, at the time. Phil, the, the iconic bass player for the band Korn, had, had to sit out a, a South American tour, and they decided not to just hire a random bass player who has done tours and tours and tours for decades, but to hire this just to do something different. And he absolutely killed it at 12 or 13 years old, being the son of one of the greatest players in the world, you could definitely tell that he had some amazing genes. And so, yeah, he just rocked a bunch of very large crowds all over South America for about 10 days. And his father, Rob Tujillo, was actually his bodyguard slash bass tech and of course, amazing father. So I just documented the entire experience and it was it made for a very emotional and musical short film. Yes, it's beautiful. Very beautiful um, story and really exhilarating to see such a talent. Uh, so how do you and Brandon, how did you and Brandon meet? I think we met in about 2003, 2004, something like that. That's about when I moved all the way from France. I moved to LA to work for Corn, and I met Brendan at a Corn event here in Los Angeles, California, in the very, very first days of me moving here. So he's one of the very first people that I've met here in this country. And uh, we just uh, bonded right away. We found a lot of similarities in both of, of our trajectories and stories and upbringings and, and hearts. He had this undeniable driving force to become a musician. And I decided to leave everything and everyone behind in my homeland of France to just move here by myself and to try to become a cinematographer in the world of rock music here in LA. So we just had two big dreams and two big passions for the same band and the same music scene. And so we just became friends. So you do have a lot in common with having these dreams and aspirations about working for your favorite band and lo and behold, here you are. What about Brandon's story inspired you? to make a documentary. If you have your listeners have been paying attention the last hour to his incredible journey, it is essentially in my book best and greatest underdog story of all time. Like it is uh, for someone to have gone through all the things that he has and to come out on top and to have the guy who inspired him to 
not take his own life and to pick up an instrument and to rehab his own body through the power of music and for the dude in question to give him a shot for his band to open up for corn and for the dude to be featured on a song that is called prosthetic by the way that is featured on his debut album you can't write a story like that you may think that uh, it is made up, but absolutely everything is true. So Mind Over Matter is a documentary film. It's not a narrative story that I wrote or that Brendan wrote or that some hired Hollywood screenwriter wrote. It is the story of his life. This project just became two friends and a camera. We just decided to document his journey through life and through music by going back in time and interviewing all the instrumental people in his life, but also to document on a daily basis for five years, the growth that he was still going through as a person, as a musician and with his band. So I was able to capture the five years leading to him scoring that guest appearance on his record and opening up for corn and having more and more doors open for him within the industry, just like he had dreamed in his bedroom in Illinois when he was a 14-year-old kid. That's incredible. Brandon, how was that for you, learning Sebastian wanted to make a documentary about your life? When he, when he called me about it, I remember he called me, I think it was like Christmas Day or Christmas or New Year's, I, I don't remember. But I, I ended I got off the phone and I, was, I cried because I, I was at another point in my life where things were not that they were not going well, but they were like stagnant. And I, I just always kept the faith that some big opportunity was going to be afforded to me somehow, some way in life in all of this journey I tried to create for myself and when it happened like I I knew it was gonna change my life and change the trajectory of my band and everything. To say the least, this film depicting these insurmountable odds against someone with a debilitating physical disability has inspired so many people to do anything that they set their mind out to do. It's a well-decorated film, and it's won several national and international Best Documentary Film Awards. You guys even went to Russia and were presented with an award. The film and and doing the film, I I was never an, an outgoing person like I am today. Like, when he asked me to do the film, in the back of my mind, I said yes. But in the back of my mind, I was like, how am I going to do this? I'm not that guy. I don't like being on camera. I hate the way my voice sounds. Like, I I was never the outgoing artist type. And you look at where I was, and when was that, like 2014 to now? It's two completely different people. So I think... All of that is a testament to music and this movie changing my life and elevating my life and helping me overcome my disability. Through this testimonial of change that 
it had that impact on you. You've encouraged people with disabilities to to play music and to use music to heal on all different levels, mental, physical, emotional. That's a big gain. It's a a, a life changer. And you're, you're such a positive influence. And Sebastian, your filmmaking, you really tell a, a beautiful story. It's very poignant and moving. So how does that make you both feel that you've created this beautiful piece of work that has changed lives and that will continue to change lives? It's been very rewarding. All the, the dozens of laurels on the film poster and all that and the accolades from the industry and the sold-out premieres in Beverly Hills and so forth. Sure, that's great. That's great for the ego. It's great to celebrate something that we've harped, that we've worked on for so long and so hard, both him and I and everyone else invested in this project, including uh, our allies, Sumerian Records and Sumerian Films. But in reality, what is really rewarding is when you go to all those disability-themed film festivals around the nation and Brendan is talking after the movie and exchanging a few words with all those people in the audience who are struggling with the exact same issues that he was when he was a kid. And you see their eyes just light up and to see that inspiration that is coming from him from what he's saying and from the film and from what they watched it is priceless you can't put a price on that so he got inspired himself by the huge rock stars that he had posters on his walls but he is now inspiring the little kids around the nation and around the world throughout his journey throughout his story and via this film for them to never take no for an answer, just like I never have and he never had. That's amazing. And Branton, you also were honored with the United Cerebral Palsy of Los Angeles, their first ever Trailblazer Award. And now you sit on the organization's Board of Governors. What an honor. That must make you feel blessed. What can I say? People refer to me as trailblazer or trendsetter, so to speak, in, in, the, in the disability awareness space. And I think it, it should be trendy to want to help people and, and inspire people and make an, an impact on people's lives, you know, because that's the stuff that money and fame, that you can't buy. That's what makes life worth living, at least in my case. And so getting the, the award from Silver Palsy was just a huge affirmation that, that I'm doing the right things and that I, I am making an impact on the disab- disabled community. And um, whatever it is that I'm doing, I have to continue because it's helping people. And that's the whole point. I, I think one of the things that we glossed over when I formed my band, it wasn't only for myself, but we realized when, when I finally did make the Mendenhall experiment that we could use it for a vehicle to raise disability awareness for kids and parents and people worldwide. So that hopefully all of the discrimination and the, the bullying and the hardships that I went through as a child 
and an adolescent coming up in in the world that hopefully the next generation of kids have it just a little easier if they can see my story, be inspired by it, change the way that they think. And it's been kind of a slow burn with, with the film and with the movement, but it's still impacting people on the daily. And I think Sebastian hit it on the head. That is the most rewarding part of this entire experience is to go in and, and work with the communities and see the impact of those people when they light up like Christmas trees. You feel it in your heart. And that's what it's, that's what it's all about. One, one thing that is very interesting that I'm only really grasping now as we're having this conversation, and I don't want to speak for yourself, but when we first met, I remember, you know, you were talking about how you are a very different person today in comparison to who you were back then. So to elaborate on that, when we first met, you know, I think it's fair to say that you didn't really want to be categorized as someone who has a disability and you didn't want to be put in that box. And it was almost something that you were trying to hide. You really wanted to become a musician, not a musician with, with a disability. You know what I mean? And we're talking about growth. And it, there's something really amazing about under, understanding who you are and really embracing it and overcoming it. And you've done exactly that. You are now a trailblazer for that community and you have embraced it. And not, you're, you're not just trying to be a guitar player but the guitar player that has a disability. And there's something really amazing about that. I don't know if that really makes sense, anything that, that I'm saying. But. No, it, it makes perfect sense. And I guess I haven't thought about it in terms of that either, but you're 100% correct. Like when, when we met, it was like, and, and that was my whole thing growing up was, and I even said it in the film, like, I was going to live my life like my disability didn't exist. But that statement was encompassing, like you said, I was trying to hide it. I was trying to be accepted as being normal, so quote-unquote normal, whatever that means. Because I, I didn't want to be viewed as the guy with a disability. And now how many, 15, 17, 18 years later, however long it's been. Yeah. Now I'm like the quintessential guitarist with a disability, being a movement of change and hope for people. And that's something world. to be extremely that's proud about. There's nothing in any of that to hide whatsoever. I would just like to thank you guys for spending the time and really sharing Sebastian, this beautiful film, Mind Over Matter, and your talent as a filmmaker with this beautiful story. And Brandon, for you sharing and being honest and open about yourself and your trials and your triumphs. Your life is really one of inspiration and does go to show that it, it really is Mind Over Matter. Thank you both for being here. And now, some food for thought. 
Life is full of crazy challenges. It sounds cliche, probably because it is, but if we just take a moment to think about it, somehow we'd have to admit that these roadblocks are often there for a reason. Being born with or acquiring a physical disability has to be one of life's biggest challenges. In this world of embodiment, to be hampered in the physical sense is very likely to impact the psyche in a negative way. To be judged and categorized as less than for these differences is hurtful and will also inflict mental harm. And to bully someone just because of their differences is nothing more than a primal knee-jerk reaction based on fear and a lesser sense of self. It takes an evolved person to practice inclusion, and it's done by calling upon our sense of understanding, compassion, and acceptance, which reside all in one's inner self. All we have to do is just call upon it. There are many positives that life's challenges can bring as well. By working through our difficulties, we can encourage our own personal growth, discover our true strengths and weaknesses, and also define and redefine our viewpoints. That's where evolution comes into play. Addressing our own hurdles and learning from these experiences will only make us more accepting of ourselves and therefore more apt to be consenting of others. To embrace our dreams by using our own human imagination and seeing ourselves as we desire will lead us on our wanted path. Regardless of our flaws and defects, imperfections and weaknesses, or afflictions and disabilities, we can harness that dream and live in its result. Outside opinions and perceptions can be easily deflated with the will of a decision and the gumption to persevere. Be open and accepting. Be compassionate and void of judgment. Trust your vision regardless of the challenges and you will achieve anything your heart and mind desires. This is most definitely the result of mind over matter. This is Dr. Jen Palladino. Thank you for tuning in to Rockin' Healthy Lifestyles. Please visit our website at www.rockinhealthylifestyles.com. That's rock, the letter N, healthylifestyles.com to find show notes, guest links, and how you can join us to become part of our community in which we explore the effects of music and arts on health and well-being. Music by Matt Thompson. This is a Rock and Healthy Lifestyle production.